Welcome to the Film Hole Podcast. Oh shit, I had the outro open. Uh, let's take, take that from the top. Welcome to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Raul. And I'm Trevor. I'm a scientist. And I'm a filmmaker. Every week we watch a movie. And then we drink some beer or other alcohol beverages and talk about it. The movie, not the alcohol. The alcohol. Well, let's talk about the alcohol because my alcohol situation right now is shit. Really? The only thing we have is this really sweet red wine that stacy brought home mm-hmm. she also brought a really good bottle of red zinfandel which is like a much earthier bitter kind of wine that i like mm-hmm. which has been gone for a long time but so yeah i don't have anything well i'm in a similar situation actually we don't have any beer like we just like ran out of beer like last Ooh. night we usually have well i should say this we run through beer like crazy because i've learned that i can drink beers like water it just like doesn't affect me so i've just been now I'm just drinking like straight neat whiskey. Oh, cheap, okay. cheap whiskey too. I thought so, the angle of the story was that like you're low on alcohol, but no, you're just like drinking even stronger. Right. Alcohol. It's like, yeah, I'm all out of beer. So I just shooting my heroin here. Right. The theory there is that I don't want to spend more money on more alcohol. Just exhaust what's in the kitchen before we make another trip. I think we could have probably cut, you know, like a sentence or two back ago, but just to round this discussion off. Beer is quite expensive yeah. overall. So what did we watch this week? We watched John Carpenter's The Thing, 1982, I think. In general, I don't really watch horror movies. And I think that's because of the horror movies that I have seen. I've never found myself like intensely like watching this horror film, whatever it may be. But in this movie... I absolutely found myself like pulled in and like on the edge of my seat. I don't know. I I felt more scared from this movie than I do from like modern horror movies. I actually enjoyed the movie a lot more than like I thought it was going to be after I learned that it was a horror movie. There were like many elements I would not have like liked about a movie, like horror movie, like some and all that. But I still enjoyed it. But I. I can't tell why. At one point, someone said something like, trust me, I know I'm a human. Which to me is like, that's that's exactly what an alien would say, I think. It was more like an action movie in in the sense that McGreedy was the most impressive hero I've ever seen in a movie. He always, he made the right decision 100% of the time. He basically completely <laughs> took over the situation, and every decision he made was that the right true. decision. I like how lean it is. Like, it feels, it's not short. I think it was almost two hours, but it feels like streamlined. Uh, really good storytelling and great. He's, he's just great at the horror beats. You know, he has it down to a science. It was so engaging, and I just, I was so fascinated. What is McGreedy gonna do next? Like, you know it's gonna be the perfect thing. I'll let you maybe take more of the reins here because this is one of the movies that it's, it's not too common that this happens, but I actually haven't seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great because this was like a thing that's no pun intended been on the list for a while. Uh, and I hadn't really realized that you hadn't seen this because I consider it such a classic. I think I just assumed that you had seen it. So it was no, like a really no. nice treat to know that you hadn't seen it and experienced that with you. And honestly, it was a movie that, you know, in our selection process, I, I put no weight behind because I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. 
they literally i didn't even know it was like a, a sci-fi movie at all well well, I think you said that you like weren't super familiar with like the filmography of John Carpenter, or at least like you didn't know he was the guy between like behind some of the films that you have seen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. so coincidentally, I've seen some of his stuff, but yeah, as like a package deal, he's a director that I'm not it hadn't been familiar with or aware of really. Yeah, that surprised me, and it it yeah. makes sense as to why you had. Boy, hadn't do seen... I have egg on my face. It makes sense as to why you hadn't seen The Thing for that reason, because had you known, like, oh, these are John Carpenter movies, you definitely would have sought out The Thing. Uh-huh. I think so. But uh, to sum up this movie, The Thing is a... I actually just learned this last night, but it's an adaptation of a short story. Um, I always just assumed it was a remake of the earlier film, which I think is 1956, maybe 1952. Um, wow. But it's... That movie is called The Thing from Outer, or from Another World, and they're both uh, adaptations of the same short story, which now makes sense to me. But they are about a thing from outer space, an alien that crash lands in Antarctica and goes into a hypersleep and then is discovered by a group of researchers. Yeah, like after 10,000s of years, right? I think in 1982 version, they say it's like at least 100,000 years it's been in wow. the ice. Wow, that's crazy. Which is cool, like, on its own, I think, because this idea of, like, dormant aliens that have been, like, stuck somewhere or have been somewhere as far back as 100,000 years, to me, it feels like a more modern conspiracy theory-fueled thing, like the whole ancient aliens. Yeah, for sure. Way of thinking about aliens. But yeah, like, to hear that in, like, a movie from 1982 sounds like a really novel concept. Yeah, well, you know where it... It's even older than that. War of the Worlds. How like how old are the aliens in War of the Worlds? You know, like equal time scales, like like thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Like they've just been buried okay. in the earth the whole time. Yeah. And it, yeah, so that they came from the ground. I think that it was that way in the movie as well, the Tom Cruise one. I guess this I guess this adds up with like HP Lovecraft stuff where it's like these ideas of like ancient more sophisticated monsters because i i've just like always thought of that as like a more modern idea that like mm-hmm. the the past civilization was more advanced than us yeah yeah it's interesting how much how old some of these ideas are i'm, I'm generally just very fascinated in like the history of sci-fi mm-hmm. in yeah. general and, and it goes back to such a long time ago Right. But anyways, this movie, the alien's been in the ice for 100,000 years, discovered by some researchers, and and it doesn't really even, I guess the movie makes an attempt to say exactly what the alien is, but it upon further examination, I think it gets even like a little bit more muddy as to what kind of species or how this alien functions or is con- or how it's conscious if it is conscious. Right. But basically it's uh it can create in their in the movie's words a perfect imitation of another organism the way i think about it and and maybe this is the way it actually works but it seems to fit is that maybe it's like a virus yeah it's like something that just infects hosts but it doesn't appear to exist like in itself or is that right. not the case well i like i honestly don't know the answer to that question and we should get into that more but to round off the plot it's like these people in an isolated Antarctic research facility 
are slowly one by one infected like a kind of a horror movie mechanic everybody's one by one kind of picked off by this monster and then there's two people left standing at the end and we're we're unsure as an audience as to if one of them or both of them are infected if one of them is the alien yeah great ending too do you want to just like talk a little bit about that ending like the whole final showdown with the the thing thing just the very final shots the the last five minutes of uh the two remaining people left over yeah so you've got kurt russell and uh keith david Mm. who's a great actor by the way and i don't think gets enough attention he's in like rick and morty um he's in they live he plays the president in rick and morty and he's also he's like a voice actor for a lot of other things he's in um he's in the, the video game saints row and i think in that he's he's just himself he's just keith david <laughs> oh that's this guy uh-huh yeah you, you told me about him but yeah just the final scene it's like they're the last remaining two we're not sure if either of them are aliens i mean we're pretty sure that kurt russell's not an alien mm-hmm. i think the story is like from his perspective kurt russell's the main character for sure yeah, I mean, but there are scenes where he's not in them and we're left to like like the middle of the movie where we're supposed to think that maybe he is an alien now when he mm-hmm. leaves to go to his shack and comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we're left here. These two last people standing, they've already exploded the entire base in an attempt to like finally kill the alien and stop mm-hmm. it from hibernating again. And they have an exchange where they kind of like admit that like, you know, regardless of whether you and I are an alien or not, like we're not going to make it out of this regardless. So yeah it's it's a very it's oh man i love that ending and so he's like well nothing to do now i guess just to wait and see what happens and then it just kind of fades off the movie ends right mm-hmm. and it's a it's an ambiguous ending um not unlike other like carpenter movies it, nothing is completely resolved by the end uh i guess that's like a horror movie trope also but i this is like one of my favorite movies of all time and probably my favorite like carpenter movie uh-huh so i'm excited to talk about it i agree as a first time viewer i can say like this movie like immediately elevated to like the upper echelons of the movies that i really like well it's like just to talk a little bit more about the director i feel like his his movies like follow like a similar trajectory where i i kind of had this like realization when i was doing this self-contained double feature with justin uh like mo- a month ago or so where we watched Escape from New York and They Live, which are both Carpenter movies. I like They Live a lot more than Escape from New York, but uh, I realized that his his movies remind me a lot of video games, and that's to say that they're kind of simple in their construction. Like, it's this somewhat, like, linear uh, roadmap of a plot that doesn't have a lot of twists and turns. It's very simple you can write it out in a few bullet points as we just described with the plot like it's they are very simple yeah it's a simple plot and justin put it as like you know streamlined in its storytelling process in yeah. the zoom call which i think is an apt way of thinking about that but even just like the way that the characters act and talk to each other it's often very like action and objective based instead of introspective which is much very much like a video game and i like when Justin and I were watching those two movies throughout the whole movie, I was like, Oh my God, like this just like feels like a video game where you have this like (laughs) 
main character in at least like they live and he's like on this journey and he's like talking to other people and like all the characters interact with him in such a way like npcs do in yeah, um, yeah. regular video games they're like oh like you have like you have construction training like we need a new construction worker like on this construction site yeah uh, so, like you're hired like right now just stuff that would never happen in real life yeah i i could totally vibe with that and i made the connection like while we were doing that where i was like oh these feel a lot like video games like maybe he's really into video games and then we thought maybe these movies are just old enough to where like what i interpret as video game logic is actually just the people who ended up writing video games later on grew up watching carpenter movies okay is that the case you know? that sounds I don't very know. specific i mean no, no, no it's just like a good theory oh, okay where it's like people saw this very like lean objective based film and they're like oh this translates perfectly into like an interactive game uh-huh but anyways that's did you just this... did you follow up any on that like did you confirm any of those points no 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 god damn it, it trevor <laughs> I mean, uh, I thought you were going to say like, and that man started like Valve production company. No. <laughs> and they, they made Half-Life it's, and they started the entire. It's probably like way more complex than that. But uh, it's just a fun experiment. And I do like thinking about Carpenter as a person because he does, based on his movies, seem to be like really into tech. And he's also like does a lot of his own music in all the movies he made the very iconic like halloween theme like uh-huh. he just he just did that himself and that was part of like the one of the things that was so amazing about that movie is how cheap it was to make and one of the reasons it was so cheap is because like he just did the music it was a very like indie indie made film where he was like we don't have money for a composer like i'll just do it like i have a synthesizer in the oh, other got room. it this was yeah. part of the pre-show clip that you showed this week the his interview with david letterman Mm -hmm. where they discussed that that. and that would have been like carpenter like three films deep at that point where he made wow at least like notable films he made like halloween escape from new york and then promoting the thing wow so the dude like really hasn't had a hasn't had a bad note since he started Mm -hmm. however in, in that same clip justin pointed out that uh the thing was actually like a box office failure or at least with critics and like that really hurt carpenter just his because feelings just hurt his feelings yeah Uh oh moment of silence mm-hmm. so anyways that's uh that's john carpenter in a nutshell i'm interested to hear like kind of outs outside of like any peripheral knowledge you have had of the director like what was just your like initial thoughts going into this movie like what you thought it was and then like how those expectations were met or subverted uh, it's truly I don't have a good answer for that because I truly went in not having researched a single thing about this movie and so I, I couldn't even have told you that this movie was kind of like in the gore horror genre okay that, I, that I'm like va- vaguely familiar with the people what did I you like. think it was at all you didn't know didn't know anything huh that's a yeah. that's very nice of you to have trusted me with that <laughs> yeah yeah well I figured because I've been like very cognizant of the fact that like a lot of these movies I've been like rewatching and they're movies that a lot of the time I uh, feel very nostalgic about the first time that I watched them. Mm-hmm. Like if you, those really good movies of your life, the first time you watch them is like, so, uh, uh, so like mesmerizing and really powerful. And so I did trust you 
that you could pull a good one out and so i went into it completely cold cool yeah that's great so what did you think i thought it was great i think that the the movie like initially when i first like when the monster stuff first started happening i thought that maybe it could be like a gore fest for the rest of the movie like where the horror just lies in the grotesqueness and like jump scares and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but what it actually turned into like afterwards was a uh, a gripping psychological kind of terror mm-hmm. what's that genre of horror called when it's like psycho thriller i don't know psycho th- stuff like that yeah. yeah um which i think was a really strong part of the movie mm-hmm. but then like interlaced with really great visual effects throughout yeah outstanding visual effects i guess yeah i think the the bright the proper pr- terminology for this is like special effects oh not uh, visual because that's like computers yeah. Or like stuff that you add in post. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is like special special effects. And it's this is like easily like one of the most like touted things historically about this movie is its special effects. What's the guy's name? Man. And, and so I guess one of the things you're asking me about like my impressions going into this movie, I did not know that it was going to have crazy special effects and like crazy monsters. So mm-hmm. when that dog, the first special effect in the movie is where this mysterious dog that's been like shot at previously, we don't know why, mm-hmm. when his face just fucking explodes. Yeah. And then there's still like a little dangling piece of meat left over. So it's it, his like, skull. Split. Is that a dog skull? It's like but a, then, yeah. It's his but like. then that falls away too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's a, I said in our chat, I was like, God damn, these like effects hold up. And I really mean that. It's like they're they're puppets and like practical effects, obviously. And those get you know a lot of when we talk about films now, we're like, oh, practical effects! Like practical effects are so great, so much better than CGI. And like right, right. to a degree, that's true. But like these ones in particular are amazing. Like yes, completely top notch and like very photorealistic. I mean, it's like, that's, I don't even know if that's a right way to talk about it, because it's really there. It's a thing they're really making. But just the amount of, like, detail that goes into these, like, puppets and makeup that they're doing. Yeah. I'm generally not that critical of using digital effects in movies. Like, I think that they can be used properly, and if they're not, like, excessively bad, I'll Mm -hmm. accept them. Mm -hmm. But something like a horror movie... Uh, visual effects really really take me out of it because i think you're supposed to have like a really like horror is like a very visceral kind of human emotion Mm -hmm. it's so different than what normal types of movies try to do to you sure which is like carrying you through a story but like horror movies are really supposed to like hit some nerve in your brain and if i'm seeing something cgi on screen it's like my brain just can't activate that exactly yeah it's the whole point of a horror movie is to like make your brain thinks it think it's in danger. Right, right. Are you a horror fan? Yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm a horror fan. So like my impression of I'm not really a horror fan in any way at all, and I think mostly just because like I don't like I didn't like horror movies growing up. So like maybe the the aughts um, and the tens time period, I just I never saw a horror movie that I liked. Yeah, they were always too reliant on like jump scares and like scary music was my impression of what scary movies are mm-hmm. it's just like this unfair game of trying to trick you and throw loud sounds at you and then you kind of 
get scared a little bit, but yeah, definitely like there's a school of horror that's very cheap in its approach where it's just trying to, it's like the equivalent of like someone hiding behind like a bush and like trying to jump out and get you where it's a scare that lasts like that. And there's no depth to the horror. I saw, um, recently the second it movie. Uh huh. And that was an example of a movie that like, it wasn't all jump scares, but it, it just like very wildly veered between like scenes that are supposed to move plot forward a little bit or a little bit quieter mm-hmm. and jump scare scenes. And it it was very repetitive. I mean, so like this happens yeah. like maybe 20 times. Have you seen it? Yeah. So it happens like maybe 20 times over the course of the movie where it's just like, okay, dialogue scene. Oh, jump scare dialogue. Yeah. 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 The first it movie is a little bit better, um, but they, the old one. No. And that one's like not a movie. It's like a mini series. The movie. Like the first the first it movie came out like a few years ago, maybe like five or six years ago. And then the the one that you're talking about that has Tim Curry in it, that was like a mini series on TV. It was like several huh. like episodes. But now when I like the only. Every time I've seen it, it's always been like cut as a movie, right? Like I can't yeah, I even think, tell. Yeah, I think there's it's... like a there's like a film version of it, or like you can watch all of the episodes at once, or it's recut in a way. But it's definitely like originally like a miniseries for TV. It was never a movie. Not officially, no. Oh, that's mind-boggling. But yeah, the first it movie is like a like pretty good. And the second movie is like not not that great. But they're both very much examples of like modern not super great horror movies i think the reason that the first it movie worked is it tried to replicate some of like what older horror movies were about and was a little bit like raunchier in how it portrayed its characters it like took a lot of notes from stranger things even has like some of the same cast members where it's just like kind of it's what i describe as like kids cussing you know just that Uh. whole that whole vibe of like, ooh, these kids are like adults, uh, and I, yeah. I th- and they're in the eighties, and something about that just feels a little bit more like uncensored and more true to like old, older horror, but it's still like a modern horror movie, and it's not as great as other things. Point being that you didn't like a lot of horror movies because that's mainly what you saw as a kid. Yeah, but but did like you ever see like The Shining or something? The old one, like, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Would you consider that a horror movie? Yeah, I think so. But stuff okay. like that, I really like. So, I mean, for me, like the division really is that I am not interested in like a recent horror, but all of the older classic stuff that I've seen before has been really good, and I'm into. Okay, so you you like horror on a certain level. You just there's a cutoff for you. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it's the same case with any genre. But, like, the thing is, for horror, it's that it's a genre that I kind of, like, wrote off and stopped putting any energy into. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll listen to metal music, and I even have some bands that I like. But I'm not, I'm spending, like, 0% of my day listening to metal music. Sure. I'd highly recommend that you watch the newer, like, if you want, like, new, like, brand new good horror, the Uh most recent Ari Aster movies, the hereditary in midsummer oh sure sure and, and i didn't even bring those up and i would just put those in like a different category because like only now in the last few years have i seen more contemporary horror mm-hmm. which i felt has kind of like been the clash of like good independent cinema with the horror genre yeah like i feel like the people making those movies are a lot more 
thoughtful. Yeah, certainly Ari Aster, like his inspiration is drawn from like more classical, like horrifying, frightening stuff. Whereas a lot of other things, I, I think the reason that horror is like written off because you're not alone in this opinion. Yeah, is that uh, there's so so much like horse shit out there because it's like the easiest like fantastical thing to make as like an indie filmmaker where you get some like like squibs for your budget and you get some like fake blood and you get a chainsaw and like you've got like like a pretty solid like slasher movie on your hands and so as a result you get like a a lot of shitty stuff and that's also like just kind of built into the genre i think that like horror is supposed to be kind of like stupid and shitty because Uh it's so cheap like evil dead i think kind of plays with that a little bit which we should watch where it's like the movie's good, but it also is a bad in a lot of other ways. And, right, right. But I think a, a lot of the movies that preceded that, like, kind of took on that same theory of something can be really cheap and work well, but, like, couldn't do it to the same quality or, like, to the same iconic level that Evil Dead did. Or something like Blair Witch Project, same thing. Like, that movie costs nothing to make. You know, it's just, like, some people in some woods with a a video camera Mm -hmm. and, like, made a shitload of money. But, like, people, I think, just try to replicate that a lot, like, or did try to replicate that over the years because it was so easy. And so you get this, like, oversaturation of this genre of just bad stuff. Hmm. But I will say, it's not quite tracking for me because when I think of, like, the horror movies that I would consider bad, and it's usually just stuff that I see trailers for it's always like really commercial stuff like high budget kind of horror movies that come out every year sure yeah well i mean i think that's like what i'm talking about is scalable also you know Uh where it it's like even if it is like a high budget horror movie it's still like a low budget movie in the scheme of making studio budget films Mm -hmm. that make a lot of money so yeah they are often like profitable or at least like low risk investments for studios and people go watch them people fucking watch them still so i get it i get the whole like skepticism of horror especially in the last like 15 years yeah but i mean um after watching this movie the thing i mean if there's more stuff like this or older sign me up because i'm 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 on it for sure cool i'll add some horror movies to the list sure sure yeah I think I think they're a lot of fun. So I want to talk about uh, this this idea of like that I really only kind of thought about in a serious way last night about like technology in Carpenter movies. I think I've been convinced, and this isn't backed up by any like real evidence. I haven't like looked this up or anything, but it seems to me that like Carpenter is kind of like you and I, where we're not like you know, technical, like, engineers for anything. I mean, you are in some ways, but, like, (laughs) we have, like, you know, a general interest in technology, and you could call us, Uh like, enthusiasts about tech in general, so we just kind of get tech as it it enters into our lives in pretty intuitive ways. I feel like Carpenter is the same way, just because of the amount of technology that shows up in his films in just, like, a very kind of passive way. Uh So... Like in this, in the thing, like one of the first things you see, and it never comes up again. And so that's what I mean by passive is he's like playing 
uh, Kurt Russell's character. Is it McCready or McGreedy? McGreedy. McGreedy. His character is playing chess with a computer. Right, the, the right. Chess master. Which in 1982, I guess, is pretty crazy. I would think so. Yeah, I think any like the presence of a computer at all in 1982 is significant. Well, playing chess is a specific thing because there was like a year. Like this is like a really famous event in sort of computer history. Is that year that the Deep Blue computer like beat that world class chess person? Okay. You'll see this like you know pop up every once in a while, um, but I think that might have happened like in the 90s. I want to confirm that just to be sure. But what I think is happening in this movie is that the portrayal of a human playing a computer in chess is actually seems pretty ahead of its time. Yeah, it. I mean, it does feel ahead of its time strictly because um, like the AI component, but also just, you know, like, oh, there's chess on computers like for that, like time. What's next? Solitaire on computers? Well, for that period of time, and you see it like later in the movie where they're using this very strange, like rudimentary computer system to do like cell simulations, which doesn't really make sense to my modern understanding of computers. But they're just like extremely like back then basic machines with very like basic functions. So like to see Kurt Russell like playing chess with one with like an actual like GUI interface, there's actual like a picture of like a of a chessboard like on the monitor that right. he's interacting with like all of that just seems kind of high tech for 1982 and, and so now i'm really curious i didn't really think about it either because at first i gave no second thought to an old looking computer being in a movie of that time period mm-hmm. but now that i think about it it is actually kind of like a novel thing to have i love <laughs> it's also like one of the it's probably the funniest joke of the whole movie is he loses and yeah. then just like dumps his whiskey into it. And, Ruins and this, it like, I'm sure extremely expensive computer. And then do you remember what he said? I, I took a note of this. He yeah, says, it, cheating bitch. Right. <laughs> Which I'm like, whoa, there's like some history going on here with uh, with McCready. <laughs> identifies it, it never as comes a, up again. Yeah. Identifies it as a female, the computer, first of all. I, I think that the, the computer now that I'm thinking about it, might serve as, like, um, kind of based on our discussion last night as a good foreshadowing of, like, how McCready comes up against his next opponent, which is The Thing, uh-huh. where it's, um, The Thing operates, you could say, in a, in a similar way that's very, I think in this movie, like, primal or machine-like could be, like, interchangeable ways of describing its Well, behavior. I wouldn't say primal. I, w- I would say very because um, this is actually a very interesting point about how like the interplay between the monster and the people is a strategic like warfare. It's a logical sort of it's like a chess match, really. Right? Yeah. 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 It, it's that here's the thing. They're not like physically fighting one another. Like that's mm-hmm. one dynamic between like two beings is just like a violent. Uh, the mightiest will survive. Like this well- is like a battle of brains well i would go so far as to say with like a sufficiently like evolved thing that like strategy is like it being primal no it's like most base its most base function is to be extremely strategic in how it okay and how i'm kind of thinking i'm still kind of saying that like the creature is like sentient to some extent like i'm not really sure either but that's kind of like how i've been playing it yeah well let's like since we're talking about let's just like dig into this more yeah how do you think it works to well to set it up 
a little. So the idea is that it imitates people and animals or any organism perfectly. So the first time you see the thing is it's apparently taking the form of this dog, this like husky dog that shows up at their camp. And then like it transforms into this like inside out version of a dog and then like attacks the other dogs and tries to digest them and change shapeshift into something else. Yeah. But the thing itself, you kind of think that it's, oh, it's just like a shapeshifter. Right. Like, right. But it becomes more clear as you watch the movie that, oh, it it's not just like one thing or like one person or organism. Like any person can kind of become the thing. Like there can be multiple people who are the right. thing. So it's not just like it's only one a one version of itself at any given point. And so that begs the question is, like is uh do you believe there's like an original version of itself? And then because th- here's the part that really confuses me. Like when they did an autopsy near the beginning of the movie, they like took out human organs and they were like, oh, this is like a human. Um, Here's the organs and shit. Uh-huh. But from there on out, all of the other infected people, uh, when they transform, like it's obvious that they're not human anymore. Uh-huh. So some confuses how it work how it works. There's also the scene like where it tries to like absorb the dog, uh-huh. where it just starts like spraying it, and then that dog eventually just like dies and looks really disfigured, kind of like some of the other people. Right. What would have happened to that dog that it was attacking if it would have completed what it was doing? Would there have been two infected dog two things? Yeah. Would it have been would it have had eaten the dog and now there's only one left and it can turn into. Yeah, I don't really have, like, a great answer for it, and I don't think the movie really gives you one. Um, And I've seen this movie a bunch, I should say, and this is, like, always a thing I'm confused by. Like, I still don't have a super solid understanding of how it works, and it might just be, like, that's... In the way that the movie presents it, that just might be the way that it is. But I think it's happening just, like, on this cellular level, and I don't really know how that translates into sentience. But it seems to me that, like, if, to answer your question, like, if the dog was infected and it was, like, trying to digest it, like, what would have happened to the dog if it had, like, if it had completed that or not completed that? What was your question? Right, right. So, so like, yeah, what do you think? Well, I think that, like, if the dog had been infected in any way and, let's say, like, that original kind of, like, blob of a dog... Like, if they had been completely separated and were kept alive, that, like, ultimately the blob would continue on living as the thing or a version of the thing. And then also the infected dog would also become a version of the thing. You said early on that it you think it functions like a virus. Yeah. And that's kind of how I see it, too. It's just this molecular level thing that's taking over a host of some kind and, like, when the when the dog when the blob is trying to absorb the other dog that it's just like trying to consolidate like it's uh it's molecules that's somehow like right. connected but it doesn't it doesn't mean that they are like two distinct consciousnesses necessarily or even that there is something conscious it just seems like some sort of organism like trying to consume everything around it yeah part of the reason i can't 
hammer this down is because I'm not sure if I'm looking at a scene with, you know, five people in them, if any of them are infected at the time. This thing has the ability to kind of, I mean, you brought up this question, are the people aware that they're infected or not? So can they act completely natural? Like they're not the ones that are infected because it's really them acting naturally? Uh-huh. Is the thing affecting their behavior in any way? Is it completely taken over and it's just pretending to act like a person? Yeah, I just don't, I have no idea. Yeah, that's all, that's like always my biggest question walking away from this movie is like, you know, the lines in the movie are like, it's a perfect imitation of somebody, but you know, they never get into the nitty gritty of like, oh, it's like Adam for Adam, like the perfect, just another version of this person. And, and also they do say imitation. They don't say that it infects the person. And that that's the part that confuses me. Imitation makes me think that it's like, okay, you have a blob of thing over here. It looks like nothing. And then it just kind of turns into a person. Uh-huh. Where did the original person go? Yeah. And I think they try to explain that with the original dog scene where they were like, it's trying to like digest the dog. So I think the idea is that the thing has to digest you first and then that's the reason that the original you doesn't exist not that like you're infected and you become the thing necessarily but like right, right. The, the thing like replicates you perfectly after having like destroyed you completely so that explanation doesn't explain how it's something that could spread like a virus right but whatever i don't even want to talk about it anymore because i think it's deliberately meant to kind of it's like not easy to think through and i think it's just because it's supposed to be it's meant to be something so beyond our understanding that like our attempts at kind of piecing it together fall flat which is what the characters do in the movie too like all that we know about this monster is through um i mean through the stuff we see on screen but also through the observations and and the, the dialogue of the characters trying to figure it out themselves as well yes they might be completely wrong and I think to your point, or both of our points about how the language is sort of vague and broad in the way that they talk about it, they're like, it's a perfect imitation, you know, it's a, which is a very kind of unscientific way of talking about this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is intentional in that, like, the movie doesn't attempt to explain how it works because, yeah. like, any attempt to do so would be kind of self-destructive to the plot. Right. And also, like, in the plot, like, there's just no time. Like, the the thing the movie does really well for me is that I really I really feel this visceral sense of, like, um, do or die coming from the characters. Like, mm-hmm. they are, I, I feel like their desire to live so much through their actions that the, le- the emphasis is kind of less on trying to fully understand the monster, only understanding the monster to the extent that they can uh, make plans on how to keep themselves safe. Mm-hmm. which I really like. So I just watched uh, Knives Out last week. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a cla- That came out last year. It's a movie. It's like a classic uh, um, mystery whodunit mm-hmm. kind of genre. Parlor mystery. Yeah. And so and so those kinds of movies, it's like um, it's like a crime mystery. You know, somebody's dead and you and somebody in this room did it. And mm-hmm. you have to like put together all the pieces to figure out who it was this movie kind of like gave me off similar vibes okay this whole idea of you don't know who the monster is and there's like clues there's like things that happen that are evidence like for and against somebody being it the thing Uh like the scene where somebody like cuts the blood 
and they're like oh who has access to the key i'm like um like well these two but i only give it like i give it to him right back after i'm done with it yeah 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 it does have very similar like tropes of that genre of a whodunit yeah it's like a whodunit but the murder is yet to happen as opposed to the murdering have happened and now everybody's calmly trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. it's like who is gonna done it right (laughs) who is gonna done it i like who's gonna done it i think i want to talk about this and I apologize because I've seen this movie a lot to where I'm paying attention to like smaller parts of it now. So like things that m- like might not resonate with you or a first time viewer as much. Yeah, sure. But like the dog in the beginning, which is like a real dog. It's a real trained Hollywood dog. That is a practical effect. A real and, dog. And it has like a pretty like intentional like character arc this dog Mm -hmm. where it like shows up and it's adopted by the researchers and they kill the Norwegian that was trying to kill it. And everybody kind of feels sorry for this dog for a minute. And you kind of like see the dog's like expressions and reactions to things. Like the dog is very intentionally filmed in an emotional way. And there's this whole sequence of where they bring the dog like into this uh, kennel full of other dogs which I assume are using, like, they have there for some sort of purpose, maybe, like, a dog sled or something. And uh, the process of the dog, like, walking through the hallways and, like, walking into the kennel, you can tell, if you know anything about, like, Hollywood dogs, that there's, like, a trainer, like, off-screen telling it to do something because it's very, like, it's looking at a singular thing, like, the whole time. It looks looks like a human is inside of a dog body. Mm Mm-hmm casually walking it, it looks very lifelike yeah and, and i should say this this breed of dog is like known to have very expressive faces like huskies. people say that this yeah huskies have very human kind of eyes mm-hmm. like you look at them and you just feel like you're looking at a person yeah uh, but yeah those scenes of the dog after it arrives on their base yeah. some of them are like i was looking through the scenes earlier today mm-hmm. and some of them are pretty ominous yeah there's like one where the let me pull it up actually the the timestamp. i just think like what you said like the whole concept of like dog eyes looking like human eyes is like terrifying to me (laughs) i hate that idea and i've seen dogs like that where it's just like in real life yeah like i've i've seen dogs where like the eyes just look a little too human and i'm like why is that i don't like that (laughs) i like it i'm like i see you there i know you're there Mm -mm. no way man (laughs) Uh, to me like my mind immediately goes to like there's some sort of like person like trapped in that uh in that dog Mm -hmm. or there's something like beneath like just a regular dog that i'm that i'm not seeing have you ever heard of people like refer to animals as people oh yeah for sure yeah i like that way of using language it's like i'm a human and i'm a person that is a dog also a person Mm -hmm. yeah i just like being able to include other animals under the umbrella of people. Well, we get really attached to those specific animals too. And there's another scene, it's before it gets thrown into the kennel, where it's just like, I think somebody's like on a hospital table or something, or they're around somebody, and he's just at the doorway, just like looking at the event that's happening. And it just makes me think that he's just like, he knows what they, that he's intelligent. Like he knows what they're doing. He's like planning. Yeah. He's learning about them. These, this, 
Yeah, this is my point. It's just like the dog's like expressions, probably just a credit to like the trainer who like was in charge of this dog and just like the camera work, like the way they frame this dog is like so impeccable. I've never seen like a dog on screen where I'm like, man, I really can understand this thing's intentions that like Uh has no sense of like what it's even doing, you know? What if that wasn't intentional at all? It was like, oh, no, the thing was never supposed to be sentient anyway. That dog was just way too good of an actor. <laughs> That'd be great. But there's this specific part I wanted to bring up where it's, you know, he's going into the kennel for the first time. And he's acting like you would expect a Hollywood dog to where he's looking off screen and like very obviously paying attention to the cues of a trainer where he'll like take a few steps and then he'll stop and you uh, he'll like close his mouth and he'll take a few steps, stop, close his mouth. And it's very clearly like how a dog responds to like a trainer being like, come, stay, come, stay. Mm-hmm. And so you see that and you're like, this is weird. Like the dog's not, it's, the dog's not looking at any of the other dogs. It's like acting very strange. But then you realize like, oh, it's because this dog is the thing. It's like an alien. And so of course it wouldn't act like a normal dog. And it's like totally underlined or punctuated perfectly when they cut to the wide shot of where that trainer would actually be and it's just Uh a wall it's just a blank (laughs) wall and it's staring directly at this wall and you're like oh my god like this dog is like totally like not a normal dog it it totally like suppresses your skepticism of like oh there's just like a dog trainer like off screen you're just like oh no this is just like a very strange dog Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I got the, you know, I I can say that I was very successfully surprised by the the dog being the thing. Because, like, I knew from watching the beginning of the movie that there was some attention paid to this dog. Mm -hmm. There's something going on with this dog. But I didn't catch on, like, quickly enough or fully enough to realize that this thing was dangerous itself. Mm -hmm. And so it was very quickly from that scene and in the kennel and it, it acting like a weird dog to its face coming off and when it did it just put me through the wall that's awesome in a very sincere way i really wish that i had been around you like for that i thought about (laughs) asking chris to just like come over in person and watch this with me because part of me really craved seeing like that genuine reaction to this movie for the first time and i actually regret that i didn't do that it seemed like you liked it from the oh yeah yeah from the stuff he was putting in the chat yeah but just like another comment on this is a good place to slot this idea i had written down the first 30 minutes of this movie leading up to the dog's face exploding build really well Mm-hmm. like it's a long enough scene one of my pet peeves with you know movies in general or like movies of a specific genre if they, if they introduce like the thing that the movie is made up of too early like, if there would have been, like, five minutes of exposition on who these people are and then some strange stuff start happening, it just wouldn't... The rest of the movie just wouldn't feel as real. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way, like, with the way I do about movie violence, that movie violence that really hits you deeply is where it's not done often and when it's not done early enough in a movie. Like, if you have a movie that, like, builds a world that feels as real as possible and then something violent happens mm-hmm. it hits a lot harder than if the movie opens with an action sequence where a bunch of people get shot right it's sort of and so this 
Yeah. This movie really nestled me for the first 30 minutes before putting me through the wall. Right. It, uh, it, uh, it allows itself to be a lot more subtle, which is a reflection of real life, right? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like, I, this, I think this might have been the first time where I, like, noticed that that thing that was remaining was the dog's skull, and then it just fell off. <laughs> I like I don't know if like that was like intentional because it seems a little strange that like a part of the thing would like fall off like in a transformation period. Like I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just like I think uh, it fits. Or if it is just because of the way the puppet was constructed. But yeah, you're right. Like that's what I was going to say is that either way like it it just works totally that it's just it's uh, this the skull fall, falls apart and it feels just as visceral i'm fascinated by the kind of creature that the thing is and like what the rules of it are it's obviously has some deep connection to flesh right like don't think a lot about science don't think about like molecules and organs and stuff like that just think about like human flesh as a base element in itself mm-hmm there's a scene where uh, in the end where he puts the thing as a as a person puts his hand up to somebody's face and then his hand just kind of starts morphing into the other person's skin. Right. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep exactly. Like that that's very unphysical. Uh, uh-huh. That like that can't happen in real life, but something about the thing allows it to basically just control flesh. Yeah. As if itself like an appendage. Like right. for real people, like your skull can't fall off because you need that you need your organs to live essentially. Like the thing that you are, you're essentially like a a, a person in a body, and the body is the thing that's like supporting you. Right. But for the thing, it's like all that flesh, you you could, it's not centered anywhere in the flesh, so it can easily just, you know, make its head fall off, and it's not a problem. Right. And I think that's actually support for thinking about it in a, in a molecular way where like it's just it's like this hive mind of molecules where yeah every every part of it every inch of it is like an independently functional uh part right which I think works I just still can't figure out to what extent this thing is like intelligent yeah well that's like I think it it kind of becomes like a philosophical question if you go super deep down that rabbit hole where it's like okay if it just is like replicating an organism like perfectly and this goes back to our earlier conversation I don't necessarily want to open up this can of worms again but it's like if it replicates my brain perfectly does it think that it's me that that can't it can't be does it now have all of my memories and experiences and like it's just a like thing version of me it can't be to that extent because we know the inside of the thing is like already unhuman right no because they said there's like these are normal human organs well that's the part that's confusing me because then i thought like maybe that was a different case like that was not a thing but that was a person that was killed by i don't know but anyway it's just to, to round off the discussion Let's round off the discussion with another question. Okay. Do you think that anybody in the movie, um, while being the thing, any of their actions could be like explained by them being the thing? Like, did anybody try to kind of subvert the real people through any of their ideas or decision making in a way that would make you think that that person is the thing and yes. that that is them trying to fuck the people up? Yes. Okay. Hit me. Wilford Brimley, who's the, yeah, not the doctor, but he's like the scientist. He's the guy who gets locked in McGreedy's shack. I don't, uh-huh. I don't remember his character's name, 
but he very deliberately like sabotages the hel- yeah. the helicopter. That's that's exactly the one I wanted to talk to you about about whether or not that's the actions of a real person or not. It has to be right because I could I can see it either way. Well, I mean, you you can say that it, that the helicopter portion like could go either way, but it's the same pre- or uh, the same consciousness that is like secretly building a flying saucer, like in that uh, little ice cave. So I I think he might have been completely human at the point that he was sabotaging everything. But what do you think about the flying saucer though? Like, do you think it, well uh, by that point? Well, no, but he certainly turned it to a thing at some point because the person wouldn't build the flying saucer. Right. And we know he's a thing by the end of it for sure. So, uh-huh. you know, he could have been turned into the thing. I don't know what time frame we're looking at for this movie. Maybe like a week or something. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to talk about that flying saucer because just that any person, thing, or whatever could build a flying saucer like in captivity is just like I'm not even going to touch it. <laughs> it's dumb. it's probably the weakest part of the movie. I think is yeah the secret yeah. the secret building of the flying saucer. I thought they were going to go more with it because like there's parts about the aliens and their spaceships and there's like tunnels and other parts of the movie that I didn't understand. And so maybe I thought like the tunnels were pre-existing and there were aliens from the spaceship tunneling through, but, it, but no. Okay. So I want to get back to the, that guy sabotaging things. Mm-hmm. That scene comes, the previous thing that that character is seen doing before that scene is when he's doing the cell simulations. Mm-hmm. And that's when he and us, the audience get the information of, you know, there's a 75% chance that one or more of your crew is an alien. And in three years, most likely the entire world will be infected. Mm-hmm. And putting aside how he's getting really this quick. Did you like do the math on the three years? Because I'm pretty sure it just gives you like a hunt, like 300,000 hours or something. Well, I did it, but somebody did <laughs> for me. And I just, cause it doesn't say explicitly three years and you were just like, yeah, three years. It's like 127,000 <laughs> hours. I'm like, that's so dumb. <laughs> but who knows how he got that information or if it's like accurate. But I think it's supposed to be accurate. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a Norwegian simulation is what I was thinking. But anyway, so he sees that and it's like gets the gun and then just kind of runs off. So I think that at that point, like he's the character that was ahead of the curve ahead of everybody else yes. in understanding the severity of this problem. Yes. And the first thing that he thinks of is that if this thing leaves this base, like the entire world is fucked. Uh-huh. Number one thing to do, kill the helicopter, kill all communications. Yep. He's like basically becoming a martyr. Right. Yeah. So he, that's kind of where I was thinking. I I agree with you. I think that uh, I couldn't remember where the helicopter sabotage like fell in the timeline, but definitely like the fucking up of like the radio, the radio equipment at that point, like he's acting very crazy. And I think, like, if you watch this movie for the first time, you might be like, oh, that guy's clear. Like, something's clearly wrong with him. Like, he's gone so right. far to become, like, manic and aggressive that he's not himself anymore. But right. I think that right. I think your assessment is the correct one, which is that, like, the severity of the situation has hit him so hard that it's, like, forced him into mania. Well... On the second viewing, it, he doesn't even seem that crazy, but he definitely does seem very, very angry. Mm-hmm. It's still like I'm looking at him and his actions of being violent towards everybody else. And I'm like, that makes perfect sense knowing what he knows. And they all get that way eventually. Like there's mm-hmm. many scenes after that where people, uh, individuals 
don't trust anybody else and are like willing to kill and have killed people because they get too close, mm-hmm. which is essentially where that that first guy is at um, earlier than everybody else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was fun. Yeah. But other than that, are there any other cases of people that like there are people that we know are the thing because there's the scenes when they get unveiled. But the question would be if you go back to the previous scenes before the unveiling, are they doing anything shady? Well, there's like uh, the scene we were just talking about with the dog, right? Where where it's like going down the hallway. So it's the, the guy with the uh, sweater who eventually gets the defibrillator, uh, tre- defibrillator treatment. Okay. The dog sneaks into his room. Like, oh, yeah. Be- I remember that shot. Before, I remember that shot. Before it uh, gets put in the kennel. Yeah. And so you can assume from like that shot and there's like a like a shadow of him like turning around and seeing the dog. And so you would assume right. that like from every scene following that, that that character is the thing. Mm. But at the same time, you know, there's a couple shots where he's like in pain. And so like maybe like the thing is like slowly taking him over or, so- really? or something. Really? There's of him being in pain? Yeah. So uh, let me. I missed all of this. Yeah, but I will say, like, the, the mark of a good movie for me is, like, if I'm thinking this hard about the movie afterwards, that that's how you know it's, like, a, a good story. Yes, totally That agree. I give any weight to, like, the reality of this world. It's when they are barricading the fort or the the lab or whatever. Yeah, uh, 11039, the same sweater dude, he's, like, grabbing his like abdomen and he's like physically in pain and so for me that oh yeah that indicates that he is infected but still human i cannot believe i missed that because that was a that's a very busy scene like where where mccready and the other guy leave and then are coming back so yeah that completely flew under the radar so that's a little telling in a subtle way that it's like he is infected and like has thing DNA in him, but is also yeah. still kind of himself because he's reacting negatively to the symptoms of being the thing, hmm. which you don't really see in any other way. I think you don't see someone like go through that transformation process, but this is a great segue. Like we've kind of, I think, exhausted this topic which you can't really even resolve which is what does it mean to be the thing yeah i feel like any rational person would have wished that we had quit at it 20 (laughs) minutes ago yeah it's just like it's this weird thing right where it's like it's something that it seems like it's begged it's begging to be like understood or like analyzed or broken down but like any attempt to do so is futile and honestly like will will make the your understanding or watching experience of the movie worse if you try to think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing now in real time. Right. So the 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 best practice is to just leave it alone and let the movie be what it is. But this like talking about this character is a great segue into one of my other bullet points which I think is hands down the best part of the whole movie is the defibrillator scene where like Oh, yeah. Where this guy with the sweater, he is like knocked <laughs> unconscious and needs to be revived by the their local doctor. And like, I feel like anytime someone shows like a clip of like the thing, they're like, oh, you remember the movie The Thing? They always show this part where like the hands of the guy 
go into the stomach like it kind of bro- yeah, bra- yeah, sure. breaks through the stomach of this guy and then watch mojo's top 10 horror sequences of history and then the, the stomach becomes like a mouth with teeth and closes in on his hands and bites his hands clean off or his arms really like both of his arms yeah i read about that how they achieved that they got a double amputee and then put some prosthetics on him did they really are you fucking with yeah. me right now no, no 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 that's how they did it really yeah, I was reading a little bit about the effects. Huh. And also, like, the the stuff they use to, like, create, like, all the blood and guts and gore and stuff is, like, hilarious. It's, like, uh, it's, like, jelly and, like, mayonnaise and, like, really crazy stuff. There's a few shots in this movie where I'm, like, that doesn't look like blood at all. It looks like cherry pie. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this blood, like, has this really red, vibrant color that just doesn't look like real blood real blood is a lot darker i think that like that was a thing of older movies uh like in the 80s and 90s probably the 70s too um and i since i'm watching twin peaks there's some of that in there too where like blood is like very uncharacteristically red i think right i think people like uh don't realize because we probably try to not be around large amounts of blood as much as possible as normal people so I think well, that's the understatement of the century. Uh, <laughs> but I think that we uh, forget that like blood is basically like black. It's just like a little bit of red, but it's like an extremely. The only time it's dark. really red if it's a small amount of blood, mm-hmm. right? Like a, a drop of blood on a finger mm-hmm. looks pretty red. But as soon as you get like any significant amount of it, it just starts to look really dark. And I think it just gets darker with time. Yeah. But I like this blood better. But yeah, it's you just know, like it's redder. What's what's not to like? I associate this with like eighties uh, and nineties like fantasy blood, where it's just yeah. hy- hyper realistic blood because blood is in quotes red. But man, that scene, great scene. What was your reaction? Like, there's a. I'm interested because I'm probably not even like asking the right questions right now because I've seen this movie too many times. But I'm genuinely interested in like how like this scene like hit you like for the first time like walk me through the process of like how you reacted to that that sequence of things i would rank that scene like the third scariest jump scare in the movie i think okay surprisingly maybe like the the ones that really got me and maybe it's just a coincidental thing like maybe i just wasn't like giving the movie the right kind of attention or i wasn't in the right Maybe I got up in the previous scene to go to the bathroom and came back and wasn't in the movie or something, but didn't scare me too much. Well, less so about like how scary it was or like how much of a jump scare it was, but it's just like it for me, it like is the most interesting or like fun scene because it just like as soon as you think it's done, it just like keeps ramping up. Like you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go from like the chest like cavity thing to like the guy's head comes off and then it becomes a spider so like so walk me through that oh my god amazing the head coming off thing and let me just like give you the time stamp can do you have the time stamp off the top of your head it is an hour 15 and yeah hour 15 15 seconds yeah oh well i mean i'm just looking at it now I mean, just as far as like movie gore goes, like this is the best I've ever seen. Yeah. And what it is, is it's very imaginative. Well, I mean, like this right here, like the head 
like the low angle of like the head kind of like falling off the table like that like that looks like a real head to me that looks like a <laughs> like a fucking real person's head as if it were like detached from the body and if it was yeah. actually like an alien organism well i think i mean i think this is literally a real person's head right in this shot i don't know man i think that might be like an animatronic because right before that was for sure that's real oh my god yeah that's unbelievable but but the scene where his head starts coming off where his like neck starts elongating it doesn't look real uh-huh oh my god why are we watching this his chest cavity is just open just right and then like the tentacles oh my god the tentacles whipping around is a really good bit i i really like that yeah this and this thing has like little feet do you notice that like the no. when the head is like that's the other thing that you kind of forget about is that like there's the real head on the guy and then there's like a secondary head that's like protruding, right, 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 protruding right, right. out of his chest. I had to do a double take on that because like the head was up in the air. I'm like, okay, his head is now up in the air. But then the first head is still there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this guy had another head in his chest. Mm-hmm. But this right here, the sequence of his head elongating really, uh, really gruesome to watch. Like yeah. this is one of the top scenes. Let it roll. Because you kind of think you kind of like know where it's going you're like oh man that neck's looking kind of strained i hope it oh no there's no way that that like the head coming off the table is real like that's real right i don't know like i honestly don't know because i mean like the head moves like in the next shot it like moves across the floor like that and that like there's no way that's a real person and I definitely I'm like I'm curious enough that I want to know. And like because that looks so real to me, like that thing moving across the floor, I'm like, okay, I guess they can just make like a very believable looking human head as an animatronic. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think I think good things about that. Wow. I want to talk really quick about like McCready as a as a character because I brought it up in our zoom thing and also a little bit in the beginning of our conversation about how like mcgreedy is like the the best match for the thing because it's i i think in the zoom the zoom thing i called it like two different versions of primalism and we you can call it whatever but it's like uh just two things using like their most like developed or evolved ways of surviving like going mono a mono where it's like Uh McGreedy is like in control of like every situation like with the humans and is like you know a very decisive person and like is like kind of the optimal human in that way can just like make like survival based question or decisions very quickly whereas the thing uh, has its own method of very efficiently surviving and so it's just these two different like very base ways of survival competing against one another so I don't know what do you, what do you think about that? I think that's dead on. I mean, the, the way I see McCready is is just, I, I don't think that his character is, like, I, I don't, I can't tell what kind of person he is from watching this movie, you know? It's like, most of the movie, he's just acting in a way that just fits the situation. It's almost like being in these kind of, like, life and death scenarios reduces a human right. to just this, this set of, like, primal responses. Mm-hmm. And that's how he acts most of the movie. And so I think you're dead on. Like, it's it's just primacy against primacy. Mm-hmm. But it's this very, like, human type of... Like, I, I really like the way that this, like... Uh, this reminds me of No Country for Old Men. 
okay the two characters like the main guy that stole the money and then the hitman mm-hmm. how they're like going head to head but because of the fact that um like guns exist and are like way more effective of a killing method than you know you, you think of two people squaring away in like a primal fight to the death you're thinking like swords or <laughs> yeah staffs and stuff like that yeah but this is a movie where if like those two characters were in eyesight of each other for more than three seconds and the fight would be over, one of them would be shot. Mm-hmm. And so that movie plays out in a way between those two characters where their fight is as much a strategic one as it is a sort of violent display of force mm-hmm. with the main character like buying uh, hotels and like leaving them and buying other rooms. Right. It's a strategic kind of encounter it's a strategic like like flailing for survival like it's it's yeah 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 like we think of like primal like fights for your life as this like like very literal like flailing of like arms and like trying to get away but it's like Uh uh-huh humans are just like an extremely more complex of what version of what we see in nature where you're just uh you're trying to appear bigger to like um right intimidate the intimidate the predator but it's just like the human version of that is to just be extremely strategic with your your actions yeah and it's a little bit of an issue of time scale too like the the really primal like animals fighting each other kind of thing are are interactions that happen very quickly and don't last very long Mm -hmm. right it's like a fight but the thing about this movie is that it's a altercation that extends like through time a lot so you have to like think about it Mm -hmm. your best way to survive in the situation is to think right exactly think like your life depends on it i I really like the scene where one of the guys one of the scientists guy like talks to mccready and he's like hey like i you know this thing like uh, you only need one molecule of this thing to get infected i think it's a good idea if we start like only eating our own food and i recommend that we only start eating out of cans Uh which was like such a great idea of that guy yes and that's just like the the human mind like when confronted with the possibility of its demise will just like it's, it's just so interesting to me that this idea of like somebody being threatened by death you know you think of somebody like crawling being very physical to get away from it Uh but just the the cerebral version of that yes of clawing out of your own grave right i love that i love it and that's like part of the tension of the movie too it's that Mm -hmm. you know these these are like tough men that live in a hard part of the world but there's nothing that they can do with their force with their they can't do anything to solve the situation yeah other than thinking through it right strangely relevant yeah yeah it is which is why i love the ending where you know his his last lines are just like i don't know what to do now yeah truly like a admission of defeat Mm -hmm. to piggyback off of that in a dumber way that i think is just like funny to talk about it's like what do you think of like mccready's whole like vibe where he's like a pilot and he has that like funny hat (laughs) it looks like he's wearing it sideways i don't it looks like a prospector hat to me (laughs) do you remember toy story it seemed like the kind of hat you would have in the antarctic I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Because, I mean, I think the whole purpose of a hat that's kind of like that is to shield you from the sun, right? Right. Of which, like, you're not really going to get any advantage by wearing that hat out there because the sun it's, is coming yeah. from all directions because of the snow. 
it's also like super unaerodynamic, so it's definitely gonna just fly off your head. Right. It's just a fashion statement. I think it's one of those like I think Carpenter has this in like all his movies where there's just like a a really cool thing in there that is totally impractical, but it, it uh-huh. somehow works. Yeah, just for aesthetics. Right. <laughs> but I love it. I love that like it, it it seems like a weird hat. Even in the context of nineteen eighty two, you're like, what the fuck is this hat? But like you just don't question it after like a few minutes. The group of people there are like so diverse, just like in the types of people there are. They have like an uptight army ser- sergeant. You have Window, who is like this kind of 70s cool guy. Yeah. What am I thinking of? It's like the kind of like people, the countercultural people that were post hippies. Yeah. Beatniks. I <sighs> guess beatniks might be earlier than hippies. I don't know. Yeah, it's not quite right. But it's the kind of people that wear exactly what Window is wearing. Yeah, Grace thought he was super cute, the Windows guy. Okay. Yeah. I believe her. <laughs> but he... Uh, he looks like Hyde from that 70s show. Yeah, totally. You ever watch that? Totally. I don't watch yeah. the show, but I know what you're talking about. Started watching it, really like it. But I, I find his... um. You mentioned a funny thing earlier. One thing that I really like about his character that I found funny... Um, is early on when he's like the guy that's trying to get in contact with other people and people keep coming in it's like you made contact with anybody yet he's like dude i told you last time that like (laughs) i we we can't reach anybody it's like in the middle of winter it's only gonna get worse we can't reach anybody stop right coming in here and asking me and like later on he's like asleep right at one point he's like uh i don't think anybody's talked to anybody on this entire continent and you're trying to tell me to get a hold of somebody Right. I felt that so deeply. I'm mm-hmm. like, he's just, he's telling you it can't be done. Right. It's, it is this like, I, in doing stuff for the pre-show, I was looking at a lot of like Antarctica stuff and it really started to sink in with me, like how unexplored that area is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it seems like we pay less attention to like Antarctica than we do space. Right. Where right. it's, it's like part of our own planet, but it's so uninhabitable and like, like, we can't send people there for long periods of time because of how uninhabitable it is. And so, surely there is, like, a ton of, like, like life forms out there that we're just completely unaware of. And, like, dun, dun, dun. and that's the reason I included that whole, like, sea spider thing is because those things have existed, obviously, for probably millions of years. But only recently have they been discovered or studied in any significant way. And it's strictly a result of just we don't send people to Antarctica to do shit mm-hmm. in, in any significant way. I thought way. you put that on there because the there's like a lot of scenes where like spider monsters yeah. are in the movie. I mean, that's part of it, too. It, it just is that also. Yeah, it fit for all those reasons. It was just like an Antarctic sea spider. Hell yeah. Thing. I think the only thing that really makes sense is that, you know, the Earth is really flat and Antarctica is a ice perimeter around our world. And the reason nobody's been there, man, is because, you know, the government <laughs> basically owns South America. So Right. I love that. They talking about the aliens. That was the other thing that like went along with the whole like idea of ancient civilizations being more advanced. Like that one character, I think his name is Palmer. He's like, yeah, the aliens like own South America. They taught the. I, I couldn't even understand what he was saying. Like I watched it again. He's, I think he's talking about it's like so incoherent. I think he's talking about the aliens where he's like he they taught the Incas like everything they know, which is like right. the whole idea we talked about with like ancient aliens like Mayan civilization. Uh, but the line that like they basically own South America. He was also talking about like the government 
earlier in that sentence. Uh-huh. So I'm like, do the aliens own South America or do the does the government? <laughs> They're one and the same, man. According to they live. Whatever. I love that. <laughs> one and the same, man. Who do you think's pulling all the strings, man? Mm-hmm. I feel good about everything we've talked about. So you want to do some final thoughts and what's making us happy? Let's get. Let's wrap it up and then um, what's keeping us grounded because we did keeping us grounded. We did come up with a name that was separate from the existing segment (laughs) from the NPR happy hour, but then we just reverted back to calling it the NPR's name. Yeah. Um, So so final impressions on this movie. Um, Really impressed. I think if I had to rank the movies we've done episodes on. Can I go first? Because I think that your final thoughts are like more significant here because you're a first time viewer. Oh, sure. So I'll say that, like, my final thoughts are I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and I think it's really interesting that I've seen it so many times and I'm just as, like, perplexed by it each time. So I think that speaks to the quality of the movie. And I'm, like, just as confused by the mystery of, like, who's who and, like, who you can trust and who you can't. Like, I never have felt, like, in all the times I've seen this movie that I know exactly what's going on and who to trust and who not to. So mm-hmm. the movie has insane, maybe more than any other movie I've ever seen, insane like rewatchability for that reason. Crazy good special effects, probably some of the best practical effects I've ever seen, ever, in a movie. Keeps me on the edge of my seat. I think all the characters are super interesting. It has that like really nice, palatable John Carpenter flavor that like, it's kind of like that Coen Brothers syndrome that we've talked about where it's like, super good like watchability like it's just you can let the movie like wash over you but like if you want to dig into it you totally can it just like checks Mm -hmm. all those boxes so yeah it's just it's as good of a movie and it i think as the first time i watch it and i think it only gets better with every rewatching i have of it so for that this movie is like up there for my like greatest movies i've ever seen so I'm going to give this like a 9.5 and it only loses half a point because of the rebuilding of the flyer flying saucer scene. <laughs> I'm going to so dumb. I'm going to give this thing a 9.5 uh prospector hats out of 10. I think this movie is like a really effective horror movie as far as like to the extent that it can take your emotions like through a wild roller coaster ride. I think it does it better than any recent horror movie that i've seen so like one thing that i've been thinking a lot about recently is just the idea that like old stuff is not necessarily you know worse or that we're any better than stuff that older generations made um it's just that the style has changed i think to a lot of people that initially initially turns you off from like watching old content maybe you kind of just built an intrinsic bias to it just you know only being raised on newer stuff and then old stuff just doesn't seem good to you or something like that whatever it is um but this movie just like blows that idea right out the water Mm -hmm. out the wazoo (laughs) and so i don't have to have too much to say on top of that i mean just loved it through and through i will also give this movie a 9.5 hastily put together ufo (laughs) saucer (laughs) that's great that's actually a good one. Want to do our what's keeping us grounded this week? What's keeping us grounded? Yeah, I can start off. Good. Uh, mine's quick. So I've been like 
So finally got my living room PC set up, playing games on it. But I'm trying to find games that are like good for couples to play. Mm-hmm. Some like nice local co-op games. And my searches are coming completely dry, like as far as modern games mm-hmm. that you can buy on Steam. That's when you like reminded me that emulators exist. And so I installed a bunch of like emulators on my PC and I've like been replaying a bunch of old games mm-hmm. that I used to play on PS2 when I was younger. And it's been awesome. What kind of games? I was playing uh, Dragon Ball Z. Budokai. Budokai yeah. 3. Yeah. Which I was just playing it with Stacy now is a great fighting game. Yeah. I'm not like a huge fighting game fan like Tekken or Street Fighter, Marvel vs. Capcom. Mm-hmm. But I played it before. Mm-hmm. And this game is way funner than any of them. The gaming mechanisms are so creative and genius. Fantastic. Uh, Okay, so what's ke- what's keeping me grounded this week? Man, I don't even know. I'm shopping for a house right now. And some like things have developed with that. Probably not worth talking about. That sounds stressful. It, it is, but it's also exciting. I, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'm dipping my toes into eBay with the help of significant help of Grace like selling things on eBay in a way that I have never have before. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And I've like gotten a few sales. And then like I told you earlier today about like how I've, I like talked to someone directly on eBay to get a better deal on something and just kind of treating it more like a community rather than like a a secondary Amazon, which you just go on and you buy the thing and it shows up. But like, did you pull the card to him that you're like, you know, dude, I'm an eBay seller. You're an eBay seller. How about I just give you a hundred bucks? <laughs> Call it good. Didn't explicitly say that, but I think that there is like a, there is this uh, communal thing that happens with like eBay people where it's like people, I know for certain if like you message somebody and you're like, hey, let me have this thing for this amount of money. They're definitely going to go to your profile and see how long you've been part of eBay how many like good reviews you have and like the percentage of good reviews you have. So there's definitely like an evaluation of other people on there. That's so funny. I know that this is true because all of like the eBay forums, like people usually like on Amazon, uh, people tend to come at from the customer's perspective mm-hmm. more often than not. But in eBay, there's like an equal amount of people being like, don't fuck over the seller, dude. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, that's just a person like you're stealing. Yeah. From yeah. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by the one and only W. And that is not to be confused with Single U, Single U, which is a rap duo from, <laughs> uh, you know, Bend, Oregon. Look W up at, at underscore W on Instagram. That's underscore the word double and two U's. Again, not to be confused with Single U, Single U, the rap duo from Bend, I Oregon. Editing this week is by... Grace Fawcett. Wherever you're listening, give us a good rating. Connect with us at at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again. See you next week. Cue music. Special thanks to Brady Goodman. Special thanks to Grace Fawcett. Special thanks to Kartik for coming by. Special thanks to Christ Maddie, our Lord and Savior. Christ Maddie. <laughs> Special thanks to Justin Wheatley. Special thanks to Stacy Kim. Special thanks to Ethan Hawk. Special thanks to David Diggs. Check out my other podcasts, uh, the Good Lord Bird Companion Podcast. We've got some new shit coming out real soon. 